With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. This is Ed McGrogan with Steve Tigner on the latest Tennis.com podcast. Um, Steve and I, quite a bit to talk about, I think, uh, this week, this time of year. Both year-end championships really in sight. The, the women's is going on right now. The men's, you can feel the pull of it in the events that are happening now. We'll get to all that, but start with the women who are playing in Singapore this week. You know, right now it's Thursday and uh, about four out of the five round robin days have been completed. The only thing we know for sure, the only things we know for sure, Simona Halep is into the weekend, Jeannie Bouchard out, Jeannie 0-3, Halep 2-0, including a, a win that should count twice over how much he dismantled Serena. I guess the question I have is, you know, did, did this event specifically tell you any more about either of these two women than maybe you didn't already know? I mean, these are the two breakout women of the year clearly. We've talked about them throughout the season for many different reasons. I mean, there's nothing definitive. I think it does show that um, that Halep, you know, Halep had had a little bit of a struggle in the second half of the year, but it sort of reinforces how good she is, the way she played Serena, you know, Serena said she was embarrassed by the loss. It was her worst loss since 1998. She won two games against Halep. But I thought watching the match, I thought Halep played well and Serena didn't play well, but I thought it was more about the good play of Halep, not getting nervous when she was ahead, um, controlling the points, just being the better player that day. And Serena eventually said that. Um, So in a way, it shows that Halep, now you have to say, all right, Halep is a definite contender for a Grand Slam next year. You can just, just from that performance alone, you can say that. As for Bouchard, she, at one point in her match, uh, in her loss to Ivanovic, she she um, asked her coach on the court why she even bothered playing this tournament at all. I guess she was, she had been hurt and she was, she is, was rusty, wasn't, didn't feel ready for it. She hasn't been hurt at the tournament, but she didn't really have the practice she wanted. Her coach said she knew it was going to be a struggle, but she had to do the best she could. But it was a rough three matches. You know, she didn't win a set. She hardly won a game against Serena, won two games against Serena. And I suppose it shows, you know, one thing, with, if you compare Halep and Bouchard, Halep is the more natural player, and Bouchard is maybe is a little more of a of the sort of, I don't want, I don't want to say mechanical player, but her game requires certainly, her. Certainly the strokes are definitely not, yeah. it's totally different. It almost right. requires her to, she'll, she'll be more hot and cold, requires her to have the ball in the right position for her, whereas Halep, is, is you know is the smoother player and 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 maybe that's something that we'll that we'll see as a difference in Halep's favor in the years ahead. I think you know it's the way that 
Bouchard, you know, went down in these three matches, and especially, you know, the, the quote you're referring to from her that it might have been one of the only instances of the WTA encore coaching, uh, you know, paying off. I, it's it's still one of the one of the moments of, of the sport that I, I could definitely do without. There is that I th- I think we were at least I was waiting to see when this year of such highs for Bouchard was finally going to maybe weigh on her a little bit. You could, you almost couldn't believe that she could back up a semifinal and a major with another one and then go even further at Wimbledon. And I think, you know, since that point, it, it has been a really a, a bit of a, a, a struggle for her, a big 180 from where she was going. And, and you have to remember, I mean, both of these players, but particularly Bouchard, you know, still very young players. And, um, and I think that all the, the this whole year of experience for Bouchard, I think both the highs and the lows. If she's to become, you know, a player that I think uh, that if she's to become that Grand Slam champion, for example, I think this year could help her out in both seeing what has went well and really what hasn't worked for her, you know, since Wimbledon, essentially. Yeah, I think the one thing you could say she's done well at the Slams. Um which shows that she, you know, she plays well in big matches. She likes big stages, but she hasn't necessarily doesn't have a great record against other top five, top ten players against these opponents. That's something that seems like, you know, before the tournament, I had mentioned that that was what we would see a little bit here, and that would be her next step, and shown that she still needs work against those against those better players. Anything else you've seen from a player perspective from this tournament thus far? I mean, one notable thing, Wozniacki 2-0 uh, at this point. You know, really, this has been a, a fantastic year for her on all accounts. But any any other things you've noticed for the matches you've watched? Yeah, I think that Wozniacki, you almost have to feel like, you know, just with her personal situation and that she was just not concentrating on tennis in the same way when she was planning to get married as she is now the, the the results have been completely different this is back to the way she was a few years ago it was almost as if tennis was tennis is now first in her mind and she's back as a you know really as a top five type player um she's been impressive she's sort of beating Radwanska she sort of reclaims that that role that Radwanska had sort of taken from her as the sort of the ultimate counterpuncher yeah, the type. ultimate counterpuncher she's kind of has has taken that spot back on the tour yeah and um in like i said the you know the tournament in in singapore this is one other element i I wanted to get to is you know the year-end championships championships specifically yeah there's no tournament on either calendar that moves as as frequently as the season ender um for such an important event it uh it kind of just travels all over the place and and it's really been a bit of a risk for the tours, you know, whenever it moves, you don't really know exactly what you're getting into specifically because most of the time these season enders are going into markets that don't necessarily have uh, regular tour stops. And um, you and I were, were talking about where this event has gone. And, you know, most recently the WTA finals was in Istanbul. It got very, it was very well received, very good crowds, a, a big departure from where it was in previous years. So, yeah, how has has Singapore really looked to you um, on television, and you know, compared maybe to previous venues? Uh, it's been good. The I don't know whether I love the dark stadium on TV. I think when you're there, it has a great effect. It highlights the um, the court. They have the court lit, and the 
stands dark. That I don't know if that's a great look on television. It, you know, I think people like it when they're there. It has been a remarkable success in in when a tournament was in New York, in L.A., in Doha, and in Madrid. It struggled. It struggled to get to get spectators, but in Istanbul and Singapore, um, it's been almost completely sold out, and fans stay for almost everybody stays for the entire match, which can go until past midnight. So. They've, been, a, they've had very late starting time. I, I don't know yeah. if that was done on purpose or what. It just it does seem like it's very late in the evening their time too. And to to um, to have these two new places that aren't big tennis markets um, have this kind of you know this kind of turnout is it's a great story for the WTA. The the lighting actually reminds me a little bit of um, the O2 in, in London. What they're doing, what they've done there. Mm-hmm. That's actually calls to mind that. Um, you know, that's the other season ender that will be coming in about three weeks. Uh, the men have this week's tournaments in uh, Basel and Valencia. They'll have the Paris Masters next week. There's a full week off, and then the World Tour Finals start in London. Um, so there is a lot going on on the ATP side. There is um, pretty much everybody playing, really, except Nishikori this week. Um in that race for the points, uh, it, it's very, you know, not the last, I believe, three spots haven't been determined to this point. And there's about six players in the mix for them. Um, you know, you have Burdich, uh, Dimitrov, Murray still hasn't qualified. Um, definitely forgetting a couple others there. Nishikori himself hasn't either. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess I almost feel like it's, it's a little... Um, it's it's great theater from from that race perspective. I almost feel like it's a little artificial to me in that in that we're seeing you know players who haven't all have all a lot of them have griped really about how long and how arduous the schedule is, but they'll certainly come out for these events. There's a lot of pay involved at these tournaments, of course, but there is really you know it's really about the numbers game and you know what they're able to do to secure qualification for another big money event in, in London, of course. So you know, to me, it, it's pretty, it's, it, I almost wonder if it's too much of a good thing at all once, cause we're going to have this week and then Paris and then, you know, a week off after that. But as, as the calendar tends to do, it just bubbles up in one spot and, you know, really kind of fizzles at the other. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. I think this has been the best year that I can remember for the race, for the race really of, to London, really affecting the tournaments that lead, that lead up to it. Uh, I, you know, smaller tournaments like, like Vienna, um, the Asian tournaments, Valencia and Basel, they really have had more meaning this year than, um, and better, better draws this year than they've ever had because of the race. And maybe and part of that is, is Andy Murray's and we're not used to seeing somebody, one of the, big members of the big four or former members of the big four in this sort of situation. So he, he brings a little, he, you know, he brings more interest and more of a star power to these small tournaments. He hasn't played these for years, but his sort of drive to, to make London has alone has made, has made this fall more interesting. It's almost also showed a different side, more aggressive, positive side of his, of his tennis, you know, of his, of his game, of his personality on court that we, hadn't seen for a while. So that in itself has been, that alone has been, has been interesting and, and is something maybe that could help him in the future. 
Yeah, well, it, it, like you say about Murray specifically, you know, the the hierarchy that we've known on the ATP has, you know, there's been some some splinters in it where, it, you know, we haven't seen the, the clear top four taking charge from beginning to end. And you've even seen movement, you know, just under that in the standings and just around there. And I think that's why we're... Uh, you know, like you say, getting these, you know, these very close point totals amongst a, a good number of great players, actually. So, um, you know, Djokovic, uh, Father Djokovic, now he um, he will be playing Paris next week. I, I think that was certainly in question um, before that. And, uh, you know, with eyes, I would say I'm keeping the number one ranking because it actually was in jeopardy. Still yeah, that, is, I suppose, of course, but that's another case where the race has has made it interesting. Federer has a chance to pass him at number one. Djokovic, you probably would think he would take an extra week off after having having his son Stefan. Um, and but no, but he's gonna he's gonna play and and I think having him in Paris with Federer and you know that instantly makes that tournament that much better and and. Because that tournament specifically well. can can fall victim to a lot of pullouts. Yeah, it has. But this this year, there's an extra week. That was part of that was there was no time in between that and London, um, which made Paris sort of the second fiddle. But now they've added a week, so hopefully that'll that'll help the tournament in Paris. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other players that you've um, that you've been watching on amongst all these men's events that. Uh, that it, not necessarily even even the top guys that have because uh, there's been a lot of tennis on t- quite frankly there's been a lot of tennis on TV um, with all these events and very strong draws and you know not only just at one event but we're getting you know very impressive fields Valencia Basel and you know like you said last week even Vienna very strong too yeah I think one guy one player to watch who this week Borna Chorich, uh Croatian player, 17. He he beat Ernest Golbus yesterday. Not you know, that's not a huge surprise, but it is. But it's 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 shown he's won three, he's won tour he's one of matches at three different tour level events. I, you know he's the first 17 year old to do that um, since Nadal 10 years ago. So that's something to watch. Chorich is a very he to me he doesn't have he doesn't have the huge serve and the huge weapons of a of a kid like Kyrgios, but George looks like a really good competitor and a good athlete. So he seems like, and that's born itself out and carry like, that's, you know, that's really one of the huge secrets to Kyrgios is that is just that really mentality there. And, and George, I think I first saw him on TV in Zagreb. I think his first event that he was given a wild card into, and I think played three sets in a loss there at the open. He actually beat Rasal. I think one, two, and one. I was just looking at. So he, yeah, he is certainly another Eastern European name that you know will will be figuring into things. I think for the next decade or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned Zverev to me as well. You know, he's a player that if you've been watching a lot of tennis um, or even the, the majors, he is. You know, and you've been looking out for the beyond the the top names. You know, his name has come across a couple times. Yeah, Alexander Zverev. He was number one junior. Uh, his older brother is a pro he's six six he's he is sort of maybe you would say the next prototype player he's a tall guy who doesn't even look that tall because he plays a pretty smooth baseline game there's no sense that he can't play he can't move and hit from the baseline like somebody who's six two or six three and he's really he has a really nice backhand he took a set from Dimitrov yesterday before losing but 
but I, you know, he's another guy you're definitely be hearing about soon. When um, when the podcast returns next week, we'll have the um, WTA finalized for for good for 2014. We'll also have a little better idea of the race standings as it pertains to London, with Paris uh, starting Monday. Um, unfortunately, not on those super slick Paris Masters courts of a couple years back, which I thought was a, a lovely departure from, I think, uh, the norm. That was the, uh, I think, the Michael Lodra year where he made a run there um, to the finals. But we'll have Paris coming up with London soon to follow. And like I said, after that, we'll move into Davis Cup. Um, we'll be back with the podcast next week. Uh, probably go up on Thursday if you want to get your, set your calendars. For Steve Tigner, Ed McGrogan, thank you for listening to Tennis.com. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.